morning and honored to allow us to come into your homes. We realize that whether you're viewing us by way of television or radio or jitsu or whatever other means of communication that we, our techies are uh, promoting, we just consider it a real honor and a privilege that you take this time, this hour, as we gather and we're distributing palm branches. This is Palm Sunday, the triumphant entry of of Christ, not only in Jerusalem, but into your lives, your life. So if there's something that's meaningful that occurs during the worship service, you just want to shake that palm branch. And then also this week is normally looked upon as Holy Week. And we're asking that you'll take the, I'm going to bless the elements, the bread and the grape juice um, during the service. And we ask that you take that home and during the Holy Week, this Holy Week, whenever you feel, uh, you know, a, a sense of closeness to God or you want to reach out to God or you want God to reach out to you, you take that, those elements and you open it and you participate in, you have your own communion service. I struggle with the idea of entitling sermon Originally, it was communicants, communicants. And sometimes through church history, they had difficulty. They'd always kind of revolve back to the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper. But it was really the task of communicants. And that was a kind of abbreviated form of communication with God. That whenever you participated in the Lord's Supper, you were communicating with God. You were showing the fact that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit, and your neighbor as yourself. And oftentimes there was a revisionist, not only in philosophy, but in theology. And we'd come back to the essence of the Lord's Supper. But Jesus really meant it to be a form of communication and communicants. You're to look at yourself as a communicant. And we're going to be getting into that during the sermon today. Because we all want to communicate with God, and we want God to communicate with us. And I just want to thank the, the television station that makes it possible, Channel 20, and pray for Channel 22 because there's very few worship services on television anymore or on the radio that people can participate in worship. 
And whether you're, you're unable to come to a church of your choice or you're in prison, we have many prisoners that listen to our broadcast and those who are shut-ins and those who are hospitalized. So we consider it a great privilege and an honor to be able to come into your, your home. So at this time, as we begin our service for this Palm Sunday, the holy entry of Jesus Christ into your life and into my life, it wasn't only a historic act of entry into Jerusalem, but it was a restoration, as we studied in our Sunday school class today, that God wanted to restore that relationship that had been broken, and it was through the communication of his son. It was no longer the sacrifice of a lamb or a pigeon, uh, blood that was the shed, but his son. So during our worship services, we turn open to our opening hymn, All Glory, Laud, and Honor, Red Hymnals number 131. Red Hymnals number 131, and if you feel comfortable standing, you may want to stand as we turn in congregational worship to all glory, laud, and honor. Red Hymnals number 131, please. Thank you. You may be seated in our, as we turn to our next hymn. What wondrous love is this? Red hymn number 137, prayers for the Rosemary Smith family. Many of you have sent in love offerings, designated them out to the, all of the United Methodist Church. Many of you have heard, I've put it over the all call a number of times. And they lost nearly everything in a fire. So we dedicate this hymn to the Rosemary Smith family. Read hymn number 137, please.
Madonna. During my prayers, I normally uplift a scripture lesson, and I'd like to let our television audience and those by radio notified in advance that Luke 22, verses 14 through 23, Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 23, and we try to get out our bulletins. We'll get the order of service early enough. We'd like to get the bulletins out to those who have requested the bulletin to follow along when, when it's televised. Father, this morning we, we come in joyful praise to you, O Lord. We pray, O Father, your spirit of blessing and welcome this morning. We pray, O Lord, that as Jesus triumphantly entered in Jerusalem, that we would celebrate the triumphant entry of Christ into our hearts and our lives. Those by way of television and radio and other means of communication that we use, we we thank those listeners and those who make it possible. Our staff here at Olivet, our organist, pianist, clarist, and our techies that make sure it, it's broadcasted on television, radio, and other means of communication. We, we're privileged to have high quality, maybe not in numbers and quantity, but high-quality people in our worship service that make these options possible. We, we thank you, Lord, that we're a privileged congregation and that we can be utilized by our local television station and radio station. And Robin makes it possible for various communications on Facebook and other means. And we just yesterday we found out there were some 90 hits by faithful followers in just one particular area of communication. We, it's hard for us to track those by way of television and radio, but we are privileged to be able to come live and hot. There's no rehearsals. Everything that's said is sent out. There's no corrections and rehabilitation of things that are said. But we thank you, Lord, that this is a, the time of the year when we, we ask for rehabilitation. We ask to, for renewal in our hearts and our lives. We ask that you come in in our hearts and our lives and renew us and rehabilitate our minds and bodies, soul and spirit. We, we seek refuge in your care and your provision. All honor and glory and power and praise and majesty and or do thy name. And as we pray, we pray for specific needs. We thank you for the safety of the Smith family and for the occupants of that apartment fire and many lost everything. They escaped with their lives and items and positions can be replaced, but hearts and lives and memories are, are oftentimes devastated. And we pray if there would be those by way of television or radio that would like to help the Smith family. I know the history of this family came all the way from Liberia. They were ambassadors from Liberia to Egypt. At one time they had seven homes and they lost all homes in Liberia and they had to start from scratch coming from Liberia to the United States. We thank you, Father, that they have been so faithful in Sunday school and in worship, not having any renter's insurance and other means to provide financial support to the restoration, the refurbishment of their apartment, give them wisdom and discernment on where they should move and what they should do. And at this point in time, it's Individuals of our church have stepped out and provided some furnishings and the Petersons and the Winter Roads and the Larsons and others. Decisions have to be made as to where they move and where storage is, but they can't always use financial resources for, for the purchase of items. We thank you, Father, that for those who are in need of prayer, physical 
prayer. We pray for Michelle, Chris Larson's daughter, as she's experiencing a number of sit-backs. She's, Chris is walking under heavy weight as he realized that Katie, his, his first wife, was probably contracted COVID through, through himself, through the Legion writers. And then now, some bronchitis and a bug has jumped from Chris to Michelle. And along as she struggles with her kidneys and with setbacks and kidneys and dealing with other illnesses. And we pray that you'd be with Chris, that you'd grant him your peace, your, your presence, your blessing, Lord, and especially with Michelle. It's, struggling with so many things. They both wanted to deeply and dearly be with us today. Pray for others, Lord, who faithfully listen to our programs by radio and television that they have needs, confidential needs. And pray for the Thompsons, the doctors, in the many situations that they're experiencing and cancer and you know their names, you know their state in which they are in and the progress that they are doing in the restoration of their health. And we thank you, God, that we can bring before you those many prayers at this specific time as we, we cite in the specific needs. There are financial needs, there are health and healing needs. There are emotional needs that are provided by Scripture. And as we prepare for your word by... Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 23. We thank you, Father, that you're going to um, push and promote the Holy Spirit upon us. But you're a gracious God. You're always there waiting. You're, you're knocking on the door of our hearts. We just need to open that door. We need to be led of your Spirit. You're always inquiring. And, and we're not always listening, but Father, give us a listening ear. Give us a heart that's open to your leading of your spirit. Our church, all of it, United Methodist Church, struggles financially and through staff. And we, we thank you, Father, that it, it, it seems like the minute we're going to go down, you provide us a, a little floaty to, to help us to surface again and to fight the ravages of closure. And we thank you, Father, that you provide the hope to our despair, the joy to our discouragement, and the light to the darkness that seems to ultimately appear around every corner that we face at times. We thank you for those who faithfully pray for us and those who financially support us. We try to be current and up-to-date. We don't want to scare anybody, but we want to be fair and we want to be precise. We want to be people of integrity, service, and before self and excellence in all things. As you taught us all to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now you can take a, a moment or two as Mike comes and as we turn in our scripture to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 23 describes a very important event in the life of Christ during that Holy Week, sometimes we seem to kind of skip over it. But it's a very important event because the church was really established there in Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 20, 23. The church, without the body and without the blood of Christ and that meal that Jesus instituted, And it's on page 86 in our Bibles, if you 
I'm going to turn immediately to it. It's also recorded in Matthew chapter 26, Mark 14, and John 13. But Luke's account gives us this institution. And it's correctly entitled an institution of the Lord's Supper. And when the hour came, Jesus took his place at the table and the apostles with Jesus. And Jesus said to them, I have eagerly, say it with me, eagerly. And Jesus is eagerly desiring to eat this Passover with you and I before he suffers. Jesus goes on to say that I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled. I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus took a cup, and after giving thanks, Jesus said, Take, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine, and that was a fresh fruit, non-alcoholic, non-preservative. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then Jesus took a loaf, a loaf of bread, and when Jesus had given thanks, he broke that loaf and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In what way? Remembrance. Say it with me. Remembrance of me. And Jesus did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant. Covenant is another form of agreement. I agree. A new covenant in my blood. But see, the one who betrays me is with me. And his hand is on the table. For the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. But woe to that one by whom he is betrayed. And then they began to ask one another, which, which one of them it would, could be who would do this? May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word according to the institution of the Lord's Supper. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Um, Jesus had looked forward to his last meal with his disciples, but he was not so much the beginning of the end for him as he was going to go away, but it was the beginning of the full restoration of God's lost and separated children. He knew that this was not only his last meal with his disciples, but it was also be the total reclamation of God with us as children. Please note that he took the cup of unfermented wine before and after the bread. This was in keeping of the custom of Passover dinner. Normally there were four cups served with the Passover meal. He also knew that he would not drink of it again until he would return during the marriage supper of the Lamb. As a side note, I've noted the meaning of the Passover, or Seder. Number one, the herb symbol symbolized the bitterness of slavery. Two, the salt water is for the remembrance of tears shed during that Egyptian slavery. Three, the lamb symbolizes the sin-born sacrifice of believing households of faith that judgment is passed over. Passover actually remembers two nations. The first is the nation of Israel being released from Egyptian slavery. The second nation it recognizes is those of us faithful in Christ that will return home to heaven to Father God as we are spared from our negative judgment. We will only be judged on the good that we did in God's behalf. Suffering is no longer born from slavery in Egypt for, the, for us, but for sin because of the work Jesus accomplished for us when we return to God. Now back to the supper with the disciples eating the last supper of the Lord. 
The elements of bread symbolize the body of Christ, and the wine symbolizes the blood of Christ. These are represented by a spiritual nature and fully realized when we ingest them eternally. This blessing of Christ's sacrifice is taken both personally and internally by us. I don't mean to downplay Christmas, but the birth and miracles of Jesus are nothing when compared to the reason he died and what he accomplished with his death. The new covenant is sealed with the faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. This is just like God's judgment passing over the children of Israel's sins. That was accomplished by the blood of the perfect animal spread over the, the door of Passover. The angel of death passed over the also had the blood. God's judgment will pass over us when we have the blood of Jesus in our hearts. Then he says, Woe to those who betray me. This is a clear warning to Judas, who must have kept his true feelings secret. He didn't tell the other disciples, or first Christ himself, what he was going to do, or why he was going to do. But Jesus didn't personally identify him at the dinner, at this last supper, as that one who would betray him. But he did mention it. But Jesus' betrayal of Jesus is exactly an excellent example of how God may use evil or bad things in our lives, even our most despicable moments, to bring honor to himself and us through him. He'll turn it into a good and fruitful blessing for us. Keep that in mind. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. A number of the things that oftentimes, you know, occur on our news stations, I believe, are kind of fake and kind of tilted. Firm believer and John Wesley said having the Bible in one hand and and maybe the newspaper in the other hand. And there's so much revelations about, about things that are happening in, in our society, in our culture, in our world. As you read God's word, you, you see, you know, some of it's kind of piggybacking on, on the times that you and I live in. And these verses here in scripture contain um, St. Luke's account of the institution of the Lord's Supper, and it truly was an institution. Within the United Methodist Church and many of the free congregations, we don't necessarily believe in transubstantiation or substitutionary, that the grape juice actually becomes the blood of Christ or the bread becomes the body of Christ. It's been kind of a revelation through the years, especially the first century when when the Christians were looked upon as cannibals because the Church of Rome looked upon the, the communion elements as becoming, actually becoming the body and blood of Christ. And, you know, it's hard to kill that, that myth. And it seems to recycle every once in a while. And we use certain terminology, the Lutherans use a certain terminology and the Catholics use a certain terminology, but primarily great discussion within the Methodist Church and churches that have spawned off from the Methodists, the um, various evangelical churches and the Baptist churches, and that we believe that it truly is an institution. It's an institution. It's, a, it's something that we do in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. And this passage, which every true Christian will always read with a deep sense of interest and how wonderful it seems that that an ordinance, an ordinance uh, so beautifully simple at its first appointment should have been obscured and mystified by, by, by man's inventions. And what a painful truth it is of human corruption that some of the the bitterest, bitterest controversies which have disturbed the church have been 
concerning the table, this very various table of the Lord. And great is the ingenuity of man, humanity of us, in, in perverting God's gifts. This ordinance that should have been for his wealth is too often made an occasion of, of falling. We should note, notice for one thing in these verses that the principle, the principal object of the Lord's Supper was to remind Christians, to remind Christians of Christ's death for sinners. Sinners such as you and I. In appointing the Lord's Supper, Jesus distinctly, distinctly tells his disciples that they were to do it and to do what they did in what? In remembrance in remembrance of him. In one word, the Lord's Supper is not, which has become confused, a sacrifice. It is constantly and eminently a commemorative. It's a commemorative or ordinance, an ordinance. The bread that the believer eats at the Lord's table is intended to remind Humanity. Remind us. Remind him of Christ's body given to death on the cross for our sins. The wine, the grape juice, the freshly prepared, the fresh fruits that one drinks is intended to remind us of Christ's blood shed to make atonement for our transgressions. This whole ordinance was meant to keep fresh in one's memory, in remembrance of, Jesus said, in remembrance of, keep fresh in our memory the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and this satisfaction which that sacrifice made for the sin of the world. It was in what he did. His body was broken, his blood was shed for you and I. And the two elements of the bread and the grape juice were intended to preach, to preach that Christ was crucified as a substitute under the lively emblems. They were to be a visible sermon, a visible sermon appealing to the believer's senses and teaching the old foundation truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that Christ's death on the cross is a life of man's soul, of your soul and my soul. We should do well to keep steadily in view this simple view of the, the Lord's Supper. Sometimes we make it so complicated and so mystical that Theologians split the hairs, confuse us, that a special blessing is attached to a worthy, worthy use of it, as well to the worthy use of every ordinance that is appointed by Christ. There is, of course, no doubt. But that there is, a, is any other means by which Christians, those who say they are followers of Christ, can eat, Christ's body and drink Christ's blood except by faith. It's an issue of faith as, as everything is. Our healing, our leading, our daily walk. Except by faith, we must always steadily deny anything else. One that comes to the Lord's Supper with faith in Christ may confidently expect to have this faith, this faith increased by receiving the bread, the grape juice. But the one that comes without faith, without faith, has no right to expect a blessing. Empty one comes, 
21 will go away. The less mystery and obscurity we attach to the Lord's Supper, the better we will be for our souls. In those two ordinances that Christ participated in, and the Lord's Supper and baptism, we should reject with abhorrence the unscriptural notion that there is an oblation or a, or a sacrifice in it. There's no sacrifice on our part. God sent his son. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that the whosoever believe in and have faith in should not perish but have everlasting life. And that the substances of the bread and the wine, the grape juice, are all changed. It causes a change of faith in your hearts and in your lives. Or that the mere formal act of receiving a sacrament can do any good to the soul. We should cling firmly to the great principle laid down at its institution and at its foundation and at its basis in the first observance that it was eminently a commemorative, a commemorative ordinance and a commemorative ordinance and that the reception of it within, without faith, without faith and without a thankful remembrance of Christ's death can do us no good. The words of the church, the words of the various catechisms are wise and true that it was ordained for the continual remembrance of the sacrifice of the death of Christ. The declaration of the articles are very clear and very distinct. This means whereby the body of Christ is received, is received and taken in in the supper is by faith. The exhortation of the, the prayer books points out that the only way in which we can feed on Christ, we can feed on Christ, we feed on him in our hearts by faith, with thanksgiving. Last but not least, the caution of the, the homilies of the various scriptural connotations of the Lord's Supper is, is most instructive. Let us take heed lest the memory be made only a sacrifice. We should notice for another thing in these verses that the observance of the Lord's Supper is a, is a duty, binding, binding on all true Christians. The words of our Lord on this point are very direct and they are very emphatic. He says, do this in what? Remembrance of me. To suppose, as some do, that these words are only injunction to the apostles and all the ministers to administer the Lord's Supper to others is, is thoroughly a very unsatisfactory misinterpretation. The obvious sense of the words in a general precept is to all of us that when we gather for our meals, the importance of, of prayer and asking God's blessings upon our food. I was reminded of when we used to have children in children's sermon, one little youngster raised his hand and he said, said, you know, I visited the neighbors And they, they eat just like Rover. They don't bless the food. We need to bless one another. And how encouraged I am when we gather together and, and when people say, you know, how you doing? And, and you like to hear encouraging words. Bless me, O oh Lord. The command before us is overlooked to a, a fearful extent. Myriads, thousands of, of members of the Christian churches never go to the Lord's table. 
Oftentimes I ask people, you know, if they're Christian or not, and they say, well, yes. And I say, why? They say, because mom and dad were Christian. And I'll ask them, you know, how many times do you go to church? Well, you know, three or four times a year. And how many times do you observe communion? And they'll say, communion, what's communion? And I think that might be the reason why through hundreds and hundreds of years of church history, the, the Lord's Supper has become entitled communicants, that we are communicants. We communicate to God through these means of, of grace that God gives to us. They would be ashamed perhaps to be known as open breakers of the Ten Commandments and one of the things I I rejoice at, it seems like, I believe it was NBC last night, had the Ten Commandments on, and all the blood that was shed and the lambs and the do on the doorposts and the angel of death passed because of the blood. How many people recognize the fact that when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we become communicants with God, and as communicants with God, the angel of death passes our home. We won't be separated spiritually in spiritual death. Yet they are not ashamed of breaking a, a plain command of God. They appear to think there is no great sin in, in not being communicants. They seem utterly unconscious that if they had lived in the days of the apostles in the early first century and many centuries of Christians to not become a communicant or part of the Lord's Supper would not, they would not have been reckoned as Christians at all. The subject, no doubt, is one in which we must realize our mistakes. It is not, of course, to be desired that on the baptismal person should receive the Lord's Supper as, as a matter of form. There are forms and there are rituals. It is an ordinance which was intended for the living and not for the dead and sins. Certainly the thief on the cross had no opportunity for baptism or communion. And today, Jesus said, you shall be with me in eternity. But we see vast numbers of churchgoers never going to the Lord's Supper and no wise, and no wise ashamed of their neglect or, or, or the sacrament. It's clear that there is something very wrong in the state of our churches. It is a sign by which the widespread of ignorance or of callous indifference to this divine prospect, when such multitudes of baptized sons and daughters habitually break this command of Christ, we have no doubt that Christ is displeased. Many people will come to many a pastor or priest and encourage a date for a baptism. But little is often said about a First Communion. What are we doing ourselves? <clears throat> this, after all, is, is a point that concerns us. <clears throat> we have a hard enough time changing our own behavior and our own attitude and our theology and how we operate in life. Do we, do we stay away from the Lord's Supper, this ordinance of communication? under this vague, vague notion that there is some great necessity for receiving it? If we hold such an opinion, the sooner we give it up, the better. A perfect precept of God's own Son is not to be trifled with in this way. Do we say, stay away from the Lord's Supper because we are not fit, we feel? Not fit to be a communicant? Who amongst us from pulpit to few, few could say we're worthy enough to be a communicant with God through his body and his blood? And if we 
let us thoroughly understand that we are not fit. Being unfit for the Lord's table, we are unfit for heaven. We are unprepared for the judgment day and not ready for God. God surely calls us to a most serious state of living and things. The words before us are very clear and the words before us are very explicit that Christ gave us this clear command to be a communicant, a communicant. If we willfully disobey it, we are in danger of ruining our, our souls. If we are not fit to observe it, we ought to repent without delay. For repentance brings us to restoration, and restoration leads us to a, a communication between God. And let us notice lastly, who are the communicants? Who are the communicants in that first appointment of the Lord's Supper? They were not all holy. They were not all holy. They were not all believers. St. Luke's informs us that the traitor, the traitor Judas Iscariot was one of them. In the words of our Lord, admit of no other fair interpretation. When he says, behold, he says, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. The lesson of these words is deeply important. They show us that we must not regard all communicants as true believers and sincere servants of Christ. Excuse me, the evil and the good will be found side by side, even at the Lord's table. No discipline can possibly prevent it. They show us furthermore that it is foolish to stay away from the Lord's Supper because some communicants are unconverted or to leave a church because some of its members are unsound. The wheat and the tares will grow together until the harvest. Our Lord himself tolerated a Judas at the first communion that ever took place and the servant of God must not pretend to be more exclusive than his master. Let the one see to one's own heart and leave others to answer for themselves to God. Father, this morning, and now as we, if we are not communicants, by way of television and radio and other means of communication, let us ask ourselves as, as we leave this passage, why are we not? What satisfactory reason can we possibly give for neglecting this plain command of God to communicate to God as communicants through his body and blood, his son? May we never rest till we have looked this inquiry in the face. If we are communicants, let us take heed that we receive this sacrament worthy, worthily. As we take these symbols, these tokens, home with us, as we partake at our appropriate times that we feel during this holy week, the sacraments have a wholesome effect and operation in those only who worthily receive them. Let us often inquire whether we repent and, and believe and, and strive to live holy lives. So living, we need to be afraid. We need not to be afraid. We need not to be afraid to eat of that bread and drink of that cup which the Lord has commanded us to be recipients, to receive. So we ask your blessing upon these tokens, these symbols of your body and blood that we do this in remembrance of you, Jesus. May we be reminded of your presence in our lives. May we count our blessings one by one. And particularly the blessings of your body that was broken for us and your blood that was shed for us. And would you repeat these words with me, O Lord? O Lord, 
Bless these elements which represent your body broken for me and your blood shed for me. I repent. I turn to you. I dedicate my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. As the ushers come, wait upon you for your tithes and offerings. Let us turn to our offertory prayer as we prepare for our offertory hymn. Would you join me in the prayer printed in our bulletins? Triumphant God, we echo the shouts of Hosanna as we relive the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem and all that waits in the week to come. Like that first parade so long ago, we may have different ideas of what kind of a Messiah we long to welcome. Many of us seek one who thinks like we think, who will yield power to meet our longings. As we give our gifts this morning, may we be of the heart and the mind of submission. You know better than us the Messiah that is needed for your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. In Christ we pray, amen. Let us turn now to our offertory prayer, prayers for Leanne Hoff as she um, struggles with a little cancerous tumor on her pituitary gland. Oh, sacred head, now wounded, red, number 136, please.
Would you stand with me, please? Holy God of light that overcomes darkness and death, as we offer our tithes and offerings to you this morning, we pray that we may give the, the confidence and assurance of those fully convinced in our promise of resurrection. Help us to experience our generosity as those who have no need to hold back or hedge our bets, but may we live our days giving freely with love and grace and peace not as those who have the hope of salvation, but the promise, the promise. In Christ we pray, amen. 